Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Real Estate Uncensored. This is the place where you get actionable ideas, insight, and inspiration to turn your real estate career into a life of freedom. We've got an awesome guest here today. He's a fellow podcast host and investor, and we've got a really, really interesting topic today. We're going to talk about two things. Number one, investing in mobile home parks, which many of you may not have thought of. We covered that with Michael Young on a previous episode. But we're also going to talk about the relationship networking and lead generation side. So if this is something that you want to get into, or if there's things that we can learn from other areas of real estate that are doing lead generation in a different way than what we do on the residential side. We want to know about it so we can bring the the best practices in from other areas. So we're going to talk about that. So first of all, before we bring in our special guest, I've got the junior grandmaster here with me. Uh, He's outside of his co-pilot seat. He's dangerous. He's out in the real world where he should not belong at all, uh, exposed to other human (laughs) beings. Greg McDaniel, what's up today? What up, Johnson? Thanks. Hey, man, I am really looking forward to this episode, our our conversation off air. Uh, A really good one, and I can't wait to regurgitate it back out. But yeah, I am. I'm out of my box. I am out in in nature. Uh, Literally, I'm sitting next to a pile of poo right now, so I'm literally in nature. Uh, But it's a a lot of fun. I I actually talked to a long time ago. I talked with my dad. We were at a convention, and talked to this guy, and he, he, um, you know, he was talking about passive income, and he, and I'm like, well, what do you do? You own a lot of apartments, or kind of what's going on? He's like, nah. I own a bunch of, uh, you know, you know, you know, parks. I'm like, what do you mean parks? He means like, you know, tra- well, he called them trailer parks, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? Well, what do you think of them? He's like, look, Greg, they're 10 cans of spit out cash. You can't, you can't hate on that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I can get along with that. But I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very over, you know, we just don't think about it because we're like, oh, well, why do I want to do a mobile home? But I want to get an apartment. I want to be sexy. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it just comes down to the dollars and cents. And so yeah. today we're going to really di- dive into that. So I'm pumped, brother. I'm pumped. And I'm going to go harass you. I'm going to come down and see you after this since I'm out of my box. No, God, no. <laughs> but, no, we don't need any of that. But please stay in your box. All right. So first of all, Kevin Buff, welcome to the show. Guys, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so um, before we jump into your background and kind of how you got into this, I want to talk a little bit because you built this really interesting kind of lead generation machine. And like residential has kind of the list building sourcing stuff kind of figured out, right? You can go buy a list of expires, you can go buy a list of probate, you can go buy all these mm-hmm. kinds of lists and you can dump them into a dialer and you can load up and just start dialing, right? Your business is very different. You've had to build all this stuff from scratch. So I'm curious, first of all, just give me a general overview of what it looks like. If you can't buy the data and you have to actually build a lead generation system from scratch, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. So it's it's a lot of manual efforts. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, like, like you mentioned, we can't just go to list source or one of the many other you know, sites that are out there and buy that data. And, and the reason being, I'll give you a little bit of a background is a lot of these mobile home parks were built, um, in, you know, in these areas prior to any type of zoning ordinance being enacted. And so a lot of them were like on the outskirts of town, they might be within city limits today, but back then they were probably built in, on, you know, somewhat unvaluable land, you know, land on the outskirts of town, it was out in the county. Again, zoning ordinances didn't really exist in most areas of the country in like the 50s and 60s. And mm. so, you know, what you'll find is that a lot of these parks, they don't have a, a uh, uniform uh, zoning to them. I, I, we, we own parks that are zoned residential. We own parks that are zoned agricultural. We own parks that are zoned multifamily, commercial, general commercial. I mean, the wow. list goes on and on. And so you can't just go to one county and say, give me a list of everything that's zoned, you know, like you would uh, residential one or residential whatever four, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't exist. And so we, we basically have a team in the Philippines. Uh, they work for us for a number of years. And, uh, you know, 
we first started by selecting the markets, you know, doing a lot of market research, you know, on both primary markets, secondary markets, tertiary markets across the U.S. and uh, arrived initially at about 50 different markets that we liked the we liked the demographics, we looked like the local economics of that area, and and felt that we would like to own a mobile home park there based on the demand for affordable housing, the shortage of it, what have you. Hmm. And so we started there with that list, and then essentially went. And, uh, uh, and had our team of uh, Filipinos, like we had a very specific uh, process they had to go through where they literally Google Earth um, is, is manually would scan, uh, like a, you'll take a certain market and break it up into a grid pattern and literally <laughs> visually <laughs> scan and find every single um, mobile home park that exists. They're pretty easy to identify from, a, from an aerial, right? I mean, they're uh, unlike a, you know, a, uh, like a, a big building, a warehouse or a retail center, you wouldn't be able to tell unless you zoned in if it's a shopping center or is that just a, a warehouse building, what have you. But mobile home parks are, are, I mean, they're very identifiable, right? Like they're you know, little single, most of them single wide boxes, you know, um, and rectangular shape. That's so hilarious. That's how we started, you know, literally Google Earth visual scan. And we had like a um, uh, essential uh, uh, parcel outline uh, overlay in Google Earth that allowed us to have the county records associated with each one of those parcels. And so literally manually, one by one by one. And we still do the same thing today as far as updating our records. So we continually go through this, this database that we've built over the years, uh, updating the records as well for you know, recent sales that have happened and you know, change of ownership, what have you. And mm-hmm. so that's it. That's how, we, that's how we built the database. It's lots of manual efforts. And uh, um, again, it didn't exist. So we had to go out there and create it. So it's a good thing because it's a good and bad thing. It's a bad thing because it takes so much time and energy and effort to do it. But it's a good thing because it creates a massive barrier to entry. And uh, it takes yeah. time and effort for someone to, you know, build that and compete with us in that space, at least when going like direct owner like we do. Yeah. And there's there's a lot to pull out of that. But the first thing that I think of when I hear that story is just uh, there's always a solution to everything. Mm-hmm. right? Whereas a lot of agents, investors might look at that and, and be turned off by that. Obviously, you see opportunity. And you keep going and you found a really interesting solution. I've never heard anybody do anything like that. And I've heard, we've interviewed a ton of people that have, that have all kinds of really cool lead generation hacks, but I've never heard that one before, which is, <laughs> which is interesting, but it's it just, about it's as manual so, as it gets. It's about as manual <laughs> as it gets, but I, yeah. I love it. Right. I mean, cause that's essentially like in my agency business, that's, we have to do something similar. Uh, yeah. Like if you, if you can laser target exactly who your clients are, it's sometimes faster just to put together a custom list than it is to try to buy something mm-hmm. that was built by somebody else and then sift through whatever they built. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show you that there's, there is an answer to everything. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, like I said, you can't, you can't buy it. So you got to build. And there's, you know, there's lots of other folks out there that are in the space that just rely on brokers, um, you know, brokers and agents, which is a good, I mean, it's, it's a source where we get a lot of different opportunities and leads from, but um, you know, I, I like not being in competitive bid wars and like we're in the part of the real estate cycle now where if you can't think outside of the box and you can't find those opportunities that there aren't a million other people looking for, then you're literally, there's always someone willing to pay a little bit more than you for a property, whether it's a residential, mobile home park, commercial, it doesn't really matter. And so our goal by going direct to owner for the most part is to eliminate a lot of the competition, you know, not being a bidding war with somebody, but have a direct relationship with the owner and work through a a win-win type arrangement with them and uh, hopefully come to good terms that everyone's happy with. Yeah. And there's lessons, I think, for residential agents there too. Uh, Greg, you talked a lot about door knocking, uh, you know, over the years. I mean, that's the way to go direct to owner in in the residential market and essentially cut out the competition there as well. That's how I got started. Is yeah, it really just exactly. going door to door? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I used to be in the single family game many years ago, and uh, my first introduction to it, I 
So we used to do a lot of direct mail, a lot of cold calling, things like that. But um, um, my initial mentor back when I was like 20 years old, uh, he get literally every evening he'd give me a foreclosure, a pre foreclosure, unless someone that was either 30, 60, or 90. And uh, and literally I would, you know, back then it was MapQuest, which is many, many. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, MapQuest did, and literally point to point to point, and literally go you know, from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Basically those three hours. I would uh, go knock on doors and uh, literally get yelled at, screamed at, you know, one out of every maybe 100 or 150 doors I would knock, I would, you know, find an opportunity and uh, be able to short sale it. But um, yeah, that's it, man. Knock on doors. We, we did a lot of deals that way. No, that's hilarious. That's about, that's about as hard as it gets, but it's about as direct as you can go. So yeah, that is about yeah, really exactly. good at knocking on doors, then you'll absolutely kill it everywhere else. I mean, seriously. Well, you know, when I, when I first got in the business, uh, I was such a screw up, you know, coming out of college that my, uh, my father, who I've been partners with for 20 years now uh i had to door knock for the first year you know five days a week six eight hours a day out on the you know walking knocking and talking and dude you get you meet every walk of life i've had an old guy in a wheelchair you know chase me down his down his front porch with a gun in his lap um i've met dogs bigger than me i mean it it, (laughs) it, it, it thickens your skin but it is a it is a great opportunity to get out there and really like I said, you build a relationship. And I've had clients for life who we've built multiple properties with that I just sat on the front porch and talked to them for an hour. It's, yeah. No matter if you're an investor or if you're doing residential resale or anything else, it, it is all about the relationship. We have Absolutely. to get belly to belly. There's yeah. no shortcut around that, unfortunately. Even though we want AI to do it for us, it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, and we'll talk. I want to talk about the relationship building side of an investment later on in the episode, too. But I want to take a step, a step back a little. Um, Kevin, make the case, give us like the two minute overview of just why you love this little corner of real estate investing. What's the benefit to you? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll try to keep it condensed. There's a lot of different <laughs> factors. I've owned, I've owned, and I've owned apartment complex. I've owned hundreds of single family rental properties and lots of other different types of commercial real estate. And, um, you know, a couple of big key features in the mobile home park space is number one, the turnover. When you, so I'm going to compare it to like apartments because it's, it's about as close as you can get as far as apples to apples, although they are very different. Um, the turnover is much lower. Most of the mobile home parks we own, we own very little or none of the homes inside the park. And so, you know, think of it as like the people that own the trailers are just parking them there and they're paying us for that parking lot space on a monthly basis. And it costs a lot of money for them to move those homes. And so very rarely do homes ever get moved in and actually get moved out. And so what happens is whenever someone you know, wants to leave, they typically just put their mobile home up for sale like you would a single family residence. Um, they show it, they have someone that comes in and buys it all the while they're paying the lot rent, new person moves in, takes over that lot rent responsibility and life keeps going on. So you don't have that, that typical turn like you might have in a rental, uh, you know, multifamily or single family rental where it's down, you got two months, you got to advertise it, you got make ready costs, what have you. Mm-hmm. So I love yeah. that part of it. Uh, the other part is that, uh, you know, there, it's the only mo- it's the only asset class that has a diminishing supply, and so there, there's less uh, uh, there's less mobile home parks being built than are what being torn down or, or shut down each and every year. Most of them are getting redeveloped for higher big, higher and better uses. Like I said, a lot of these parks were built in areas that weren't desirable 50, 60, 70 years ago mm-hmm. that are now like in the path of progress, right? And so yeah. there could be higher and better use. And municipalities hate these things; they don't like them. They got a bad rap, which you know there are some bad actors out there, but there's lots of mobile home parks that are incredibly nice. Um, and but they've got a bad wrap. And so the chance of getting one approved to be built is slim to none. And so what, what that means for me is like barrier to entry. If we buy a great existing mobile home park in a phenomenal market, I don't have to ever worry about really a developer going down the road and buying a parcel of land and building a competitor mobile home park. It just doesn't right. happen. 
Yeah. Um, the chances of that getting approved just doesn't happen. So, and then last big one is just really the, the ease, ease of management. You know, when you don't own the homes there, really, we're only in charge of the the, uh, the common areas and the infrastructure. So as long as we're making sure that the water and sewer lines are working properly and that the road's in good shape and that the common areas are kept up, uh, if the AC goes out or roof starts leaking or plumbing leaks in any of the mobile homes, they're not calling us. They're calling a plumber. They're calling an electrician. It's their own home. So they're responsible for it. So there's many other points I can go on, but you, you asked yeah, me to give you like a two minute and that was like the 10 minutes. So I'll try to... I'll try to. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was really good. That's the top three. And it makes a lot of sense. I don't, I didn't know anything about that game for the most part like from the investor side, just what, what the benefits are. It's been a while since we talked about it. And yeah, it, it sounds amazing. It sounds like a no brainer. I guess my question is with it being kind of a depreciating supply in the asset class itself, what's, what's the time horizon? How long do you think you have to really capitalize on this niche? Yeah, that's it. So, so we've been buying them for about seven years now. And um, I've definitely seen a major shift in competition over the past two years. Uh, and even more so in like the last 12 months. I mean, it's, uh, you know, seven years ago, there was competition. Um, but it wasn't from like private equity groups. It wasn't from, you know, uh, large institutional players. You know, back then, they would kind of snub their nose at this space. That is not the case nowadays. So, uh, everyone knows about this space. You know, it's uh, it's been exposed, I guess you could say. And so there's a lots of big institutional and private equity groups that are out there trying to gobble up as many as possible to, to yeah. try to consolidate the industry. Um, but even even then, uh, still about 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 eighty percent of the industry is owned by mom and pop operators at this point in time. So that that number is slowly dwindling as people get in and gobble them up. But so it's still very fragmented. There's still opportunity there. I think as far as like a, a runway to actually get in and, and and you know buy opportunities and find good value, still probably like eight to ten years. And there's there will always be value. Here's here's the thing. I mean just because there's large institutional guys getting into the space doesn't mean that they'll find that this space is meant for them five years from now. Right. I mean, right. they, they, they yeah, might come casting around looking for anything at this point. Right. That, that's it. I mean, they're chasing you at this point. They can't find it in multifamily. They can't find it in, in, in the other different types of uh, commercial assets. They were buying self storage is, is a big one. That's, mm -hmm. you know, cap rates are super compressed. Same with uh, all, basically every commercial asset class out there. And so mobile home parks were kind of the, the redhead stepchild and, Lots of competition there. And I just, it's hard to say how long that will last. But even then, if that's what we were talking about earlier, if you're willing to do what others aren't, I mean, just get out there and bust your ass. You can find opportunity. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we bought nine parks last year. This year has been a little tougher for us. Uh, we're only going to end up buying maybe three. We got two so far in our belt. So it's been an incredibly slow year for us. Mm -hmm. um, but that's okay because the two that were, the two that we bought so far are absolute home runs. And, um, and we, we didn't overpay for them. You know, we, we didn't get caught up in the hype of, of everyone else trying to buy it and bid on it and, you know, overpaying for it just to buy. And uh, so mm -hmm. there's still a deal when you're willing to dig. When you're willing to work hard, there's always opportunities out there. Yeah. And Greg, it goes back to what, what we've talked about on the show before, which is blue ocean, right? Blue ocean hunting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, uh, instead of going where all the competition is, figure out a way to go where there's, where you essentially eliminate the competition. And Kevin, that's exactly what you've done, which it just takes, it just takes work. It's a different mentality. And then the willingness to put in the work. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think a lot of people, if they just go out there and if they go and it might, not, it might be you know apartments for them. It might be, you know, new builds. It might be raw land. It might be storage. It might be, you know, mobile units. Uh, but I mean, I, I think what Kevin's talking about is, is really important to think about is like, yeah, keep your day job, buy and sell properties, but, you know, always keep your eyes and ears tuned into what the marketplace is doing. My father said, you know, tw you know, 10 years ago, he's, he's like, dude, 
we should have bought every single home we ever sold. I'm like, you are a lunatic. <laughs> we would never have made any money. But I mean, if you look back at it and you, you know, we've sold a home for $700,000 now worth $3 million. Mm-hmm. Well, that would have been a much better long tail play, but we just didn't have the wherewithal to do it at that point. And uh, Kevin, yeah. for you to get started in this, I mean, how did you get involved with a you know, with mobile units? Did you trip, fall and stumble yeah. into it? Were you introduced into it? And how did you get your funding for it? I mean, all that, all that stuff. Yeah, and that's a great, great questions. I mean, so I, as I'd mentioned, I've owned many other types of real estate. Uh, leading up to 2008, I had a couple hundred single family doors that were rentals of mine, and then um, about 500 multifamily doors. And uh, 2008 did not treat me too well uh, at all. I lost a lot of uh, what I had built over the years. Most of our stuff was in Southwest Florida here. Really challenging yep. times. Long story short, kind of had to start over again um, and, uh, and took a couple year hiatus from, from every type of real estate there was as I was trying to dig myself out of a massive hole. But I got introduced to, uh, to mobile home parks in, in 2011. And it was during a period of time when I was kind of trying to rediscover what I wanted to do in real estate. And I knew that I didn't want to do, you know, nothing wrong with single family, but I wanted to, you know, buy scale. I, like I didn't want to, at this point, I was thinking about having kids. I was, you know, going to get married and all this. I was like, okay, I don't have as much time as I had when I was in my twenties. Let's actually let's figure out how to buy bigger and buy faster. And so I was going to focus on multifamily. And I, by happenstance, got introduced to a guy by the name of Randy through a mutual friend. Randy happened to own mobile home parks, a couple of them here in Florida. He was a, an older gentleman who had worked in a banking career for his entire life and started buying parks when he retired. And, um, and that's it. I just, I wanted to meet Randy. I didn't really have an interest in what he did. I just like meeting new people and, and networking. And so mm-hmm. I had lunch with Randy and, uh, and Randy started picking apart my ideas of kind of rebuilding, buying apartments. He started like beating me up a little bit as to you know, <laughs> why do you like apartments so much? And he, I was like, well, come on, man. Like, I know that you're kind of building this up for something. So why don't you tell me why I should consider mobile home parks and why you love them so much, this, that, and the other. And I kind of gave him the platform to, you know, spiel, uh, you know, his uh, pitch to me. And, okay. and, uh, and I sat there for two hours talking with Randy. I left that lunch meeting, you know, originally having plans on, you know, trying to go out and buy multifamily at that point to mm-hmm. give myself, hey, next 12 months, I'm going to focus on buying a mobile home park. I'm going to buy one and see if I could either prove or disprove this uh, great investment that Randy had spoke about. And that's what I did. I, it took me a little bit more than 12 months, but I bought the first one in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia back in uh, late 2012. And then that took about eight months to get stabilized, bought another one in North Carolina, bought another one and another one. I mean, literally bought the first six with, with either my own money, with a partner, or I still had some good relationships left over from you know, prior to 2008, mm-hmm. private lenders and such. And so bought as much as we could with our own money or with our own minimal resources. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, spent a lot of time really honing in, honing our craft and, and really understanding the business and getting good at it and figuring out how to run these things properly, how to buy them right, how to identify the u- unique opportunities that exist in each one. And then once we felt like we had a real business out of this and we we're making money mm-hmm. and that uh, we had proven the concept at that point, uh, we knew that we could find deals. We were really good at finding deals. We weren't good yet at finding money, not not in big ways, um, but the deals were the most important part. If you don't have deals, then nothing else matters. And so, <clears throat> basically, went uh, you know kind of went on a binge and, and started you know pitching this out to everyone and everyone I knew, and uh, started talking about it and started you know raising capital for you know future investments and uh, essentially started doing that through the the platform, my podcast as well. And mm-hmm. now we we raise most of the capital that we do deals with uh, through limited partners or you know, high net worth individuals. Mm-hmm. And um, it's allowed us to scale our business. So, I mean, we went from you know, six parks to uh, today we own parks in 13 different states. Uh, got about 2,000 lots under ownership. And um, really that, that growth has been due to our awesome partners that we've found over the last couple of years. And uh, and to really putting ourselves out there. But, but really the, the most important part is like proving the concept first. You know, we proved it out. 
you know, made sure that we risked our own money at first and then went out and actually sought other investors to come in and basically uh, partner alongside us. The, the, the most important thing that you said there, there is you proved it out first. You didn't yeah, go ask absolutely. for someone else to fund the, uh, a thought. It was like, okay, hey man, here are my numbers. I think a lot of agents that, that we go out, they go out and they say, hey, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to buy, you know, my investments with my own money. You know, you use other people's money all the time. That's kind of like their motto, right? But if, if it doesn't pencil and you get, you know, and you lose people's money, guess what's going to happen to your re- relationship and your reputation yeah. in the local area just for buying and selling? It's like, oh, I'm not going to listen with Greg because he lost. There's a bee that wants to fly up my shirt. That was very not cool. <laughs> um, it's really hard to get money if you haven't proven your concept. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, you know, that first deal we did, like I, I didn't have much, man, I was, I was, it was a hard couple of years after 2008 for me. So I won't go into that, but I mean, it was, I, I, I didn't have much money at all. And I brought up one partner in on that one. That I had known, I trusted, we'd done a lot of deals together in the past. And that first deal had to work. Uh, in fact, that first deal we bought basically all cash and also had to fund all the, all the renovation costs. And like, it was basically everything I had and it had to work. Like it had to, it ha- if it didn't work, if it failed, I would, I would literally had zero money left. I put everything I had into that first deal and also spent like eight months, like literally driving. It's like an eight hour drive from here to Atlanta where I live and literally drove there every single week to oversee renovation crews and, you know, just manage that project. And, um, and uh, it was a struggle, but like I felt good, you know, after that first one, buying the second one and actually bringing like a, a lender in, you know, like a private lender that I had a relationship with. I felt very good doing that. And I felt confident. Like I felt like there was no risk for him whatsoever. And, um, and because I had already proven it out in the first one, but if I had not done that, if I'd have brought in like, you know, someone I, I, you know, like had a really good relationship with on that first one, you know, not the guy I partnered with, because him and I kind of both putting our own money in, but if we'd have brought like an outside entity in that was going to be passive, I'd have been nervous as hell. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I don't know how, I mean, it would still turn, it would have turned out well for him, but like, I wouldn't have felt good. Like I already was losing sleep at night. I surely would have lost even more sleep if it was someone else's money. Right. I can live with myself failing, but I can't right. live without, live with failing and actually losing someone else's money for him. Yeah. Um, I, I would do, yeah there's definitely a flip side of that, which goes back to proving the concept and understanding to me, what's interesting about your business is really understanding what the leverage points are. Mm-hmm. We're understanding where the the skills and the expertise that you built up give you an advantage, right? Which as, as agents, it's easy and, uh, to understand that most of the time, the difference between what makes an agent successful or not versus somebody else is their ability to generate and convert leads. And then client service is kind of following up on that. And, and that depends, it determines whether you get referrals and things like that. So there's, it's really easy to pick out the leverage points where if you're better at these two things, you're going to be really successful as a residential agent. I think it's harder to pick out like an investor business, when you're, especially when you're first coming into it, it's hard to know what you don't know and find mm-hmm. what determines whether you're good at it. I'm curious, you, you mentioned a few things, um, buying them right, right? Finding the unique opportunities in each park. Can you give us just a couple tips uh, or what you mean by those two things? Yeah. I mean, so like buying the first one, right. I mean, like that, that just, uh, like there, I didn't know a real formula back then. Cause it was literally our first park. I didn't know anything other than I relied on Randy a little bit, you know, but, uh, sure. No, it, it just, this was all brand new. And so that very first one, like buying it right to me meant, um, I, I don't want to get too like deep. Not losing your shirt in the process, yeah. basically. Yeah, I mean, the, the value of just the land itself um, in that area, like if worst case scenario happened and like we completely like just fumbled the ball and the whole thing like, you know, imploded, we'd have still been able to fire sale that piece of property uh, as a vacant piece of land to a developer for what we had in it. And like, that was kind of like a worst case scenario. So for me, like that was very low risk. And yeah, capping uh, the downside, and basically. Not, 
Yeah, that's not the formula we use today. They're a little bit more um, strategic nowadays. But like that, that, getting into like that, that was my formula of like buying it right, and it's it's evolved over time. So you know, we have certain uh, metrics and projections that we that we seek to hit for our investors on everything that we buy here today. Uh, so we do leverage everything very you know very low leverage typically, and we're between like sixty five and seventy percent on the leverage point. But our our objective with any of our investments uh, over a you know a five or ten year hold, depending on the property itself, is to is to yield our investors a 12% annualized cash on cash return over the life of that investment. And so you know, we have to buy and we have to back into those metrics on those deals, making sure that we feel comfortable and confident that that deal, uh, not just day or not just year one, but year three, five, seven, you know, nine to however long we're going to hold it, uh, is going to either meet or exceed those, uh, those target metrics that we outline for our investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, we obviously have to get paid as well, right? We have to be able yeah. to meet, meet and exceed our investors' metrics, but there's got to be some meat left for us as well so that we can eat uh, after it's all said and done. Yeah. So uh, not going too deep. I mean, that's, I, that's how we value things today. And that's how we determine whether or not it's a good deal for us. And what's a good deal for us doesn't mean that's, you know, uh, not a, a bad deal or a good deal for someone else. I mean, so Mm-hmm. We might see something and say, hey, this, this is not good for us. This is not a great deal. However, the next person might say, this fits my, my model perfectly. Like this thing yeah. will meet, exceed all of our targets that we have set. And I love it. So we look at a lot of deals. Yeah. Um, we look at a ton of deals and, uh, and buy very few. Very cool. Well, I want to talk a little bit before we, uh, before we sign off. First of all, um, you've got your own podcast where you talk about the, a lot of this stuff in depth and talk to mm-hmm. other players in the industry. So first of all, what's, uh, tell people how they can get connected up with you. And then we've got questions on the relationship side of things. Yeah, absolutely. So I've actually had two podcasts I do on a weekly basis. One's called Real Estate Investing for Cashflow. That's a commercial real estate investing podcast. And then the other one's called the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. And as you, the name would probably say, it's uh, it's about mobile home park investing. That's the entirety of the show is about this niche. And so I'd say if, if folks have an interest in learning a little bit more about what it is that we do, they can go check that podcast out. And you can go find it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or uh, my website, which is kevinbupp.com. I've got both of the podcasts hosted there. Awesome. Love it. So what, what has, what has hosting those two podcasts done? You mentioned like, you know, like obviously finding the money, if you can find the deals, you can find the money. What has hosting those podcasts done for you in terms of relationships and building a network of people that have the money to put into that? Yeah, it's, it's been huge. And it wasn't the reason why we started it. Really, the goal of starting was to, you know, number one, there was no commercial real estate investing podcast five and a half years ago when I started it. And, and that's what I wanted to hear. And so I, I figured I would go ahead and start one myself. Um, but it, it's evolved into a lot more than that. So it, it's lent credibility. I mean, tons of credibility over the years. It's given me a platform to broadcast to, you know, 40, 50,000 people a month um, that, that want to hear what it is that we're speaking about or the person that we're interviewing. And, um, and it allows us also to, you know, what I started doing in the early days is actually going through case studies of deals we were doing. Literally, some of the shows were entire case studies of, uh, of parks that we had bought, you know, the, the turnaround process that we were in, how we were going to extract the value from it. And, you know, we'll kind of go from A to Z on these different case studies, which again, proved that concept. And so uh, it wasn't until about maybe, you know, three years ago that we actually ever started like putting it out there to our, our, our listener base, our audience base of, hey, would you have an interest in investing alongside us? Um, and when we did, you know, a lot of people raised their hands. And I think it's just yeah. because of the transparency and, uh, and, and just the authenticity that we uh, try to bring across in the show. And it also shows that we're, we're doing what we say we're doing. Like we're actually doing deals and uh, we've got proof of concept there. So it's been, it's been huge uh, as far as relationships. It's been huge as far as raising capital. Um, you know, um, just the guests that I bring on the show, you know, like there's some folks I've had on over the years that probably wouldn't have taken the time of day to talk with me, right? Unless it was them getting on the show and uh, gives me the opportunity to ask all those heartfelt questions that I had deep inside that I wanted to ask them. And uh, <laughs> I've learned so much. I've learned so much over the years from, from the many different guests that we've had on the show. 
Yeah. Same, same experience here. Uh, and then I want to talk about the quarterly newsletter. So this is kind of a, a niche leadership strategy that you're just starting to embark mm -hmm. on, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, we do a lot of direct owner marketing. Um, like, like we'd mentioned, uh, direct mail is one of the big pieces. Uh, we also do cold calling. But one of the things that we started about a year ago uh, was doing a quarterly newsletter. And this is to mobile home park owners. These are uh, parks that we would like to own one day that we'd like to purchase. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the objective of that, of that newsletter is quite the opposite of the direct mail, or the cold call campaign. With the direct mail, you know, we're basically saying, like, we want to buy your mobile home community. Mm -hmm. and, uh, with the cold call, we're, we want to buy your mobile home community. Have you ever thought about selling? Mm -hmm. With the newsletter, it's a complete opposite approach. It's all about giving value. And so we, we, we put a lot of emphasis on you know, six to seven very unique articles on a quarterly basis that give value back to that reader. And so you know, things such as you know, uh, community cleanup efforts, how to do that inside your community, how to you know, put on contests for your residents to, to build you know, tighter uh, pride of ownership. Like we'll do like, you know, prettiest landscaping and give away, you know, prizes for the, the lady that put, or the lady or the man that put together the nicest looking landscaping in front of their mobile home. Um, <laughs> charitable endeavors that we've done in our own communities, we share that with the reader base. And so what that does is not only allows us to build continued credibility with these park owners, but it, it just puts our message in front of them yet again and yet again. I mean, our whole goal with our direct, uh, direct outreach efforts is to make sure that our message is in front of them all the time. And uh, I, I'm, I'm a true proponent of, you know, direct to owner marketing is all about getting the timing right. Like there's always going to be a point in time when a owner, whether it's a mobile home park or other type of property, either when they need or want to sell. Yeah. My goal is to make sure my message is in front of them one way or another, one form or another, when that day comes, when they either need or want to sell their property that they think of me. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. It's the same, very, you know, very, very similar on the residential side. You just want to basically be top of mind because you never know what the timing is going to be. So you want to be communicating in such a way that they open your stuff, right? By giving value in the meantime, when they don't need you so that when you, they actually decide they want to talk to you, like your stuff actually gets through and they're used to communicating. There's that level of trust built by continually pumping out content over time. Yep. Uh, so I love that. I uh, love that strategy. We've had folks on, um, uh, the name escapes me, but somebody started doing a monthly newsletter to their uh, their past client base and their sphere of uh, of influence on the residential side, and I think it doubled their business inside wow. of ten months, or something like that. Yeah, it was something. It was it was something radical, Greg. I think it was Tom Miller. We've had him on the show before. I think it was Tom that mentioned that because he was coaching with. Um, um, a mutual friend of ours. Uh, so let's close out with this. I want to give another call to action in places where people connect with you, Kevin. Let's start, Greg, with you. Uh, where do people go to connect up with you and why should they do such a crazy thing? You guys go to my, just give me a call. I'm a warm and fuzzy, lovable human being, unlike my co-host, who has a heart of coal. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can go ahead and give me a ring um, at 925-915-1978, like the year. Uh, if you guys want to book a free coaching session would we'll go there text me there uh we can set something up we can get there uh, if you guys want to talk about exp you can we can do the same thing on that uh, that number there um you know kevin I, you talked about uh, how 2008 hit you hard and man, i'm the same way it took me down bankruptcy foreclosure loss of houses loss of cars loss of everything go to mm -hmm. i went down to 35 dollars to my name so i get it we talked about rebuilding ourselves out of a hole and reinventing yourself i think that a lot of agents get shamed if they were in the business at that time they, they feel like Oops. And I'm back. I got a phone call. No, they shouldn't call me during podcasts. Um, but the, you, you know, I think it's a good story. I think I loved hearing the story that you came back, you reinvented yourself and you didn't just kind of go off into the, into the, you know, the world and just never be heard from again. You went back and fought. So kudos to you, brother. I loved, I uh, loved hearing all that stuff. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then Kevin, what's the best way to stay in contact with you? So you've got the two podcasts, you've got your website. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's it. So, you know, my website, you can reach me through there. Um, uh, kevinbub.com again, uh, you can listen to the, uh, the two different shows that we have. Uh, also find them on iTunes or Stitcher and then our company website. If you have an interest in what we're doing over here in the mobile home park space, uh, you can go to sunrisecapitalinvestors.com and you can also contact me through that website. So I'm not too hard to track down. Fairly easy. <laughs> exactly. Well, it helps to have a unique name. If somebody tries to look up Matt yeah, Johnson, right. find 17 other people doing a million other things. So, all right, guys, <laughs> we, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, watching. Uh, for anyone that has a podcast, us included, as well as Kevin, make sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. In our case, if you enjoyed having Kevin on the show, we want to know about it. So make sure to mention him and give him a public shout out in your review. Uh, we love to pass on that positive feedback. And we want to know if you enjoy having people that are focused on the investor side on the show, because uh, that's something that we, we've dabbled a little bit with. And uh, so we want to know from you. So make sure to head on over there and leave a rating and review. And you can always get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify as well, and Stitcher and all the usual suspects. So gentlemen, thank you so much, Kevin. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin.